So if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me to Genesis chapter 15 this morning. Genesis chapter 15. Today we are studying a part of our Bibles that is of massive importance in the Bible and in Christians' lives. This is a passage that can offer tremendous hope, tremendous encouragement to each one of us wherever we find ourselves here today. And so let's begin this morning by reading the entirety of Genesis chapter 15. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Amen. May God bless the preaching of His Word this morning. Friends, I wonder if, like me, you struggle to be a patient person in life. Uh, If you know me at all, you know that patience is not one of my strongest virtues. 
Amazon cannot pack, uh, deliver a package fast enough. Fast food does not arrive soon enough. I get annoyed if my iPad does not download that website quick enough. It is a real issue when I go to the grocery store to shop. I struggle to know which, which line to go in and, and which line to wait in for the cashier. And so there are so many factors that come into play there. Which cashier is moving fastest? Which person has the most groceries in front of me? Which one has a bagger that's helping the cashier to do their work? It is a significant temptation for my soul when I get into a line and then somebody in another line leaves the store before me. And and the same is true when I approach a toll booth on the highway, right? When you approach a toll booth, you have to consider a lot of very important factors. You can't just choose what looks to be the shortest line. No, as you come up to the toll booth, you have to assess which which you have to quickly count all, all the cars and see which one might have the fewest because... One might look shorter, but it actually might have two or three extra cars in it, and that would delay the length of your trip by at least two or three minutes, which is unacceptable. I wonder if any of you ever put GPS into your phone just to go to the grocery store so that you can see if you beat the time that it says it will take you to get there. Yeah, I am not a naturally patient person. But folks, let's be honest together today. Let's be honest together because I don't think that patience is easy for any of us, right? You might be more patient than me when you are at the grocery store, but how are you at being patient about your hopes and dreams in real life? How patient are you when it comes to dealing with the delay in your life that has been disappointing you for so long? Church, has anyone dealt with disappointment in their life here? Has anyone dealt with unwanted delays of their hopes and dreams? We, we all have. Folks, today we are looking at a chapter of our Bibles that is very honest about the delays and difficulties of life. Abram is dealing with significant delays of his hopes and dreams. Life has not turned out the way that he had hoped. There's there's deep disappointment and concern on Abram's part. God had promised great things to Abram, but now there's a, a distance, a separation from what God had said to Abram and what Abram's daily life seems to be. And that That discrepancy, that that distance between God's promises and Abram's daily reality, that that is a fearful and very troubling thing for Abram. He, He does not know what to do with these unwanted delays of his hopes and dreams. And honestly, none of us do. The delay of our hopes and dreams, particularly when those hopes and dreams seem so right and good and appropriate to us, the delay of these things can be deeply troublesome. But what we see here in Genesis chapter 15 is marvelous. What we see here is that God himself comes to Abram yet again and speaks hope into Abram's life. Even with the many delays of his hopes and dreams, once again, God gives hope to this man named Abram. Folks, what we see in this passage is the the formal inauguration of of the Abrahamic covenant. God commits himself to Abram's life in an official way. 
God's already made promises to Abram back in chapter 12, but now he takes time to enter into an official covenant with Abram. He gives to Abram, and church, he gives to us through Abram images and pictures of himself in this text that we can hold on to when the delays of our hopes and dreams haunt us. Here's the main idea of our message this morning. Our God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, and so we can rest in Him when our hopes and dreams are delayed. Our God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, and so we can rest in Him when our hopes and dreams are delayed. And we have three points to consider this morning. Point number one, the delays of life. Point number two, the dependability of God's Word. And point number three, the demonstration of faith. Those are our three points. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, the delays of life. Look look at verse one with me. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Okay, after what things? Well, after the events that we saw last week in chapter 14, which spoke about Abram needing to rescue his nephew Lot from a war that was happening between the kings that were in the land. Abram had just demonstrated remarkable faith, remarkable courage, as he trusted in God enough to have courage to go and rescue Lot, and then as he refused to accept gifts from the king of Sodom because he only wanted to trust in God, for the provision in his life. Genesis chapter 14 is a a high point for Abram. His faith is very strong. But then, why does it say in the very next verse that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Why would God need to say fear not if Abram was still demonstrating such strong faith? Well, friends, this seems to point to the fact, once again, that Abram's faith and his trust in God is not a perfect faith and trust. The strength of his faith is not constant in his life. No, it goes up and it goes down. There are moments of great faith and there are moments of doubt and fear. Abram's faith is is a fragile faith. As heroic as it has been in the past chapters, it's still a faith that has vulnerability to it. It's vulnerable to, to fear to doubt, and to unbelief. In church, we we see the vulnerability of Abram's faith in a particular way when it is tested by unwanted delays in his life. We see this in the very next verses. In verses 2 and 3, Abram verbalizes some of his fears and his uncertainties to God. He says, "O O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of, of Damascus. And so, do you see the reason for some of his doubts and fears? Abram is, is looking at his life, and he's remembering God's promises to him in Genesis chapter 12, and he's, he's frustrated, he's, he's confused, he's, he's disappointed, because his life doesn't look the way that he thought that it would look by this point. God's promises haven't been fulfilled in his life in the way that Abram thought that they should or that they would be. And so he, he verbalizes those concerns and those questions to God. He says, Lord, Lord, I continue childless. That, that word childless 
that word continue speaks of there being a a long season of, of disappointed expectations. He and Sarai hoped that that God's promises over their life of their own child would would be fulfilled immediately, but they continued childless. Their hopes and their dreams have been delayed. And then Abram talks about Eliezer of Damascus, who is a member of his household, and he speaks of him as being his heir. But, But that's not his own son. That's not his own child. And so... In that day, if you did not have your own child to be your heir, you would choose someone from within your household, a a servant or a nephew or or someone else to be your heir, to take care of you in your old age, and then to receive your inheritance. And so what this reveals is that the, the delay of Abram and Sarai's hopes and dreams had gone on long enough that they had begun to consider alternative options. They'd begun to entertain the thought that the the dream of having their own child would never come about. Folks, all of this speaks to the delays of life. Church, how about you? How about you? Where are the delays and disappointments in your life? What, What hopes and dreams have been delayed far longer than you ever thought that they would be in your world? Is it the delay of infertility? Church, I have prayed so much this week and last week for those in our church who struggle with infertility. What a long and lonely road that can be. Is it the delay of marriage, an extended season of unwanted singleness? Is it the delay of a promotion or a house? Is it the delay of a healthy relationship with your spouse or with your children? Is it the delay of of greater victory over your sin and temptation? Where are the unwanted delays in your life? Church, we all have them. And if we're honest, many of us would have to say that the delays and the disappointments of life are what we feel in life almost more than anything else. We wake up aware of them and we go to bed burdened by them. Many tears have been shed over these things. For many of us, the delays of our hopes and dreams are are a constant lens through which we view life. They, They are a source of grief and very real pain. It's not an exaggeration to say that unwanted delays in life can feel like death to us. Many of us have to legitimately mourn the loss of those things. Church, it's okay It's okay to grieve these things. It's okay to shed tears over these things. These are real disappointments. Notice with me how this passage speaks about these things. God does not rebuke Abram for voicing his concern. That's amazing to consider. This isn't even spoken as a significant sign of unbelief on Abram's part. No, even after verse 6, which says that Abram believed the Lord and that God counted it to him as righteousness, even after that verse, which becomes an iconic verse in the Bible about faith in God, even after that verse, verse 8 It shows that Abram still asks another question of God. He says, but God, how am I to know? Abram just longs for certainty. He he longs for assurance about these things because his life wasn't showing him those things. Listen, 
struggling with the delays of life and even voicing your concern and your fears to God does not mean that you have weak or failing faith in God. This is a fundamental part of our our faith journey as Christians to, to wonder why there is this disparity, why there is this gap between the good that God seems to speak over our lives and what our daily experience continues to be. It's okay to struggle when you read the Bible and read God's promises and wonder why your life experience seems so far from that reality. Church, God welcomes your honesty. God wants you to bring your frustrations to Him. He's not surprised by your disappointment in life. And as your Heavenly Father, he, He wants you to speak freely about those things. If one of my own children has a disappointment in their life. I don't want them to to hide that from me. I I want them to share it with me. I want to walk through that disappointment with them. And if at all possible, I want to try to alleviate that disappointment for them. And that's what we see with our Heavenly Father as well. He welcomes our concerns so that He can prove Himself faithful to us in the midst of those concerns. And friends, that brings us to our second point this morning. Point number two, the dependability of God's Word. The dependability of God's Word. Church, we can all struggle. We can all struggle with the distance that that seems to exist at times between what God's Word promises and how our lives seem to have turned out. We all have these areas of life where we wonder whether God has failed us. And those things can deeply affect our relationship with with God Himself. For many men and women in the church today, the level of our joy in Christ and our, our level of devotion to Him is sadly not dependent on who He is in Himself, but on whether we think that He has answered our prayers or not. Right for, for, for many of us, we can hold back our relationship with God because we are, are not yet convinced that He is trustworthy in our lives, particularly when we have so many unfulfilled hopes and dreams. But friends, God wants us to have a stronger foundation to live on than just the fulfillment of our personal hopes and dreams. He wants greater joy and peace for our lives than just having that relationship that we crave or that group of friends that we want or that miraculous healing that we're praying for or that new job that we think that we need. God wants more for us than all of that. And church, we see how He wants more for us in how He responds to Abram's fear and doubt in this text. Look look at verse 1 again. He says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward is very great. He, he wants to, to comfort Abram, and, so, and he does so by, by reiterating his promises to Abram, and even by, by giving Abram pictures to hold on to, pictures like the stars in the heavens. God, God is reiterating and bolstering the promises that he made to Abram back in chapter 12. God, God reaffirms his promise to Abram. First of all, in, in verses 4 and 5, God reiterates his promise to to make Abram into a great nation, to give him many descendants. And so God contradicts Abram's fears and unbelief. And he says, no, Abram, Eliezer of Damascus will not be your heir. A member of your own household will be your heir. 
God, God basically says, I'm going to be faithful to my word to you. And, and, and oh, by the way, Abram, I, like I promised to make you a great nation, I wasn't joking about that. Your descendants will be as many as the stars of heaven. And then, and then starting in verse 7, God reiterates his promise to give Abram and his descendants a land to dwell in. God is reiterating the fullness of his promise that he made back in chapter 12. But listen, that is not all that God does for Abram here. He doesn't just repeat his promise in chapter 12 verbatim. No, we see something more happen in this text. In verse 8, when, when Abram asks again, how can I know that these things will be? God instructs Abram in a very specific way. He says, go and get this, these groups of animals. And then, and then we read in verse 10 that, that Abram gets these animals and cuts these animals in half. Cuts them in half. And then he lays the halves over against each other. He, he creates an aisle or a pathway between the halves of these animals. Now church, what in the world is all of this, this about? Why, why the cutting and, and laying out of these animals? This is a gruesome, bloody picture to imagine. Well, as weird as this may seem to us, we, we need to understand that in these ancient times, this was a standard way of creating a covenant between two people. And we know that a covenant is being made here because verse 18 explicitly says, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And so what is happening here is the enactment or the inauguration of an official covenant between God and Abram. And so a good question to ask is, well, what is a covenant? Generally speaking, a covenant is a solemn commitment, a, a guaranteeing promise or a contractual obligation. In some ways, a covenant is like a contract that we sign when we buy a house or take a loan. A covenant is an official agreement between two people who want to commit together in, in something and who are willing to bear the consequences of the penalties if they fail to hold up their side of that agreement. That's what a covenant is. But now, why are these animals cut up? Well, there are probably one or two different interpretations of what is actually happening here. But I, I strongly believe, and the majority of, of scholars would believe as well, that what is happening here is a self-maledictory oath. A self-maledictory oath, meaning that these animals that are cut in half are a picture of the harm that will come to the person or the persons who break this covenant agreement. Self-maledictory oaths were very common in that day. We see evidence of them both, both biblically and extra-biblically as well in ancient manuscripts. And so two parties would cut a covenant together. Two parties would, would lay out two halves of the animals and then walk between them together as a way to say to each other, if we break this covenant that we are making today, well then let us be like these animals are. Let us be torn apart. Let us be killed. They're making their lives on that agreement. We can see another example of this sort of self-maledictory oath in Jeremiah 34, where it says, 
And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, and I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. Friends, that's what we have here in Genesis 15. It's a very sobering way to make a promise to each other and and with each other. And church, as you hear that, you might might grow a little bit concerned about what it means for Abram and, and what it means indirectly for both you and I. I mean, Abram has already proven himself to be a very fearful and weak man. And so, does he really want to make a covenant with God in which he will be torn apart if he fails in the obligations of that covenant? That, that, seems, that seems precarious, doesn't it? Who would want to make that covenant when you know that you are as weak as Abram was? But listen, listen, here's the most important thing to notice about this chapter in our Bibles. God is the one that makes this covenant for himself and for Abram. God makes this covenant, not Abram. Did you, did you notice this? Did you notice how God calls Abram to prepare the animals, but then in verse 12, it says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Abram's asleep. At a time when it would have been normal for both parties of the covenant to walk through the halves of the animals, at a time when both parties should be promising their allegiance, what, what happens? God puts Abram to sleep. And it is only God who walks through the halves. Only God has the consequences, the obligations of this covenant put upon himself. Abram's completely passive. He's asleep. God is committing himself to this relationship. And church, he is saying that he, not Abram, not Abram's descendants, not you, not me, he will be the one to bear the penalty if this covenant is broken. Because God is the one who passes between the parts. God is saying through this, I will take the penalty if I break this covenant, and I will bear the penalty if you break this covenant. Church, the Abrahamic covenant here is a picture of God's eternal and covenanting love for His people. He is sovereignly in control of this relationship with us. He is committed to bring about the good that He has promised in Abram's life. Why? Because He is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. Church, this is extraordinary for us tonight. This is extraordinary because we know that Abram is not going to keep the covenant. He's not. We know that Abram's going to fail in the very next chapter. We know that Abram's going to break the covenant repeatedly. And we know that as his descendants, we're going to break the covenant as well. We have not been faithful to who God has called us to be. And so, under normal circumstances, the consequences of this broken covenant would be on us. They they should be on us, church. Death should be ours. Our sin should tear us apart under the wrath of God's judgment. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. But God is saying in Genesis chapter 15 that that is not the way that it will be. Church, 
This is a picture of the gospel, maybe the clearest in the book of Genesis. God is saying in no uncertain terms, I love you so much that I am willing to covenant myself to you. I am willing to put my life on the line for you, even knowing that you are going to fail me. I love you so much that I am willing even to bear the penalty for your failure to this covenant. I love you so much that I am willing to be torn apart, to die so that you do not have to. And so our relationship can be preserved. How amazing is this? What kind of God commits himself to his people in this sort of selfless way? Church, listen to this lengthy but powerful quote from from Ray Vanderlane. He says this, Think of it. Think of it. Almighty God walking through a pool of blood. The thought of a human being doing that, to say the least, is unpleasant. Yet God, in all of His power and majesty, expressed His love that personally. When he walked through the blood of the animals Abram had slaughtered, God was making a promise to all the descendants of Abram, to everyone in the household of faith. When God splashed through the blood, he did it for us. But there's more, he says. When God made covenant with his people, he did something no human being would have even considered doing. In the usual blood covenant, each party was responsible for keeping only his side of the promise. When God made covenant with Abram, however, he promised to keep both sides of the agreement. If this covenant is broken, Abram, for whatever reason, for my unfaithfulness or for yours, I will pay the price, said God. If you or your descendants for whom you are making this covenant fail to keep it, I will pay the price in blood. And then he says this, In that moment, Almighty God pronounced the death sentence on His Son, Jesus. Church, this is the dependability of God's Word. He is so committed to us in love that He will even die for us in order to fulfill His promises for us. Even as we feel the distance between what God's Word says and our daily experience, this is the greatest reminder to us of how fully God can be trusted. He holds nothing back from those that He loves. And friends, that brings us to our third and to our final point this morning. Point number three, the demonstration of faith. Where does all of this leave us? It's great to consider the dependability of God's Word and to know that He has covenanted Himself to us in this way. But where does that leave us in relation to the delay of our hopes and dreams? You know, some of us might even say that it's not even fair to make a comparison between our lives and Abram because Abram ends up having his dream of a child fulfilled. And many of us will spend our lives without seeing the fulfillment of some of our hopes and dreams. And so where's the comfort in this? Well, church, yes, Abram was given a son. Yes, that dream was fulfilled. But no... Abram did not directly receive all that God had promised to him. Look at verses 13 and 16. 
It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And as for you, you shall go to your father in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. God basically tells Abram that that though he's going to be faithful to his promises to Abram, it still won't be exactly the way that Abram had hoped that it would be. Folks, Abram still has many, many years before he ever has his own son. And then God says that Abram's going to die without ever entering into the land and possessing it like he said that he would. How is God being faithful to his word with all of that? He says that Abram's descendants are going to spend 400 years in slavery. Think about that, 400 years in slavery. That that means that there were whole generations of God's people, whole generations of Abram's descendants who didn't know anything in life other than bondage as slaves in Egypt. That does not seem like the fulfillment of God's promise. How in the world can this be seen as God being faithful to His word and to His promises? But yet, Scripture says that God can be trusted. In fact, we see in verse 6 that Abram believed God at his word and it says that he was counted as righteous because of it. He had faith that God was going to accomplish his plan in God's own way, even when it didn't make perfect sense to him. He didn't need all of the answers. He simply trusted God at his word. Redeemer Fellowship, this is what the Abrahamic covenant can be for us as well. This covenant is supposed to function in our lives as a foundation to stand on in all of life. When bad things happen, when sorrows come, when hopes and dreams are delayed, we can cling to this text because this text reminds us that God will not break His promises to His people. And church, that's exactly what we see throughout Scripture. The Abrahamic covenant is referenced again and again and again in our Bibles in order to remind God's people that God has not forgotten them in the midst of all of their difficulties. The Abrahamic covenant is spoken of as a, as a foundation for God's people to stand on no matter what they are going through. They can continue to trust God because God has covenanted Himself to them and His Word will not fail. And what becomes increasingly clear throughout the unfolding of God's Word is that even though life in this world will continue to be so painful, infertility remains. Sickness remains. Conflict remains. Even though life in this world will not be perfect, God is going to be faithful to His Word, not necessarily in this world as we know it, but rather in the new heaven and the new earth that is still to come. What we see here is that God's promises to Abraham have both a a physical and a spiritual fulfillment for His people. What becomes clear as throughout the unfolding of Scripture, is that God does indeed give Abram many descendants. He didn't necessarily see them, but they are his. 
God creates a a community through Abram, a, a people, a tribe, a nation of people who are saved by His grace and who live together under His rule. God is is faithful to build through Abraham what we all long for in life, a spiritual family to belong to, a family to to be a part of, which is now the church of Christ. And so whether, whether the dream of a child or a wedding has been delayed in your life or the hope of a peaceful relationship with your spouse, God says, I am being faithful to my promises to you by building you into my family, my people, my church. This is where you belong. What also becomes increasingly clear through the unfolding of Scripture is that God will indeed give Abram and his descendants a land to live in. The promised land. They had a promised land. They had a physical land for a little while, but then even that was lost. And so the eyes of God's people, the eyes of Abram's descendants, continue to look forward. They continue to look upward, not to a land or a home or a place of security in this earth, but in the new heaven and the new earth. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament says of Abram and Sarai, For people who speak like this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out here on earth, well then they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. God did not allow Abram to see the fulfillment of all of his hopes and dreams in this life, but God was still faithful to his word because he was bringing these things about over time, and even now he is continuing to bring them about for his people. They they are fulfilled for us spiritually right now, and there is a coming day when they're going to be fulfilled for us physically as well. And so friends we can put our faith in this one. This is what Abram did. Without having clarity on how God would fulfill his promises, Abram believed God at his word. He believed him, and it says that God counted it to him as righteousness. It's all Abram needed to do. That's all that you and I need to do today. Believe God at His Word. Believe that His Word is a stronger foundation than your own hopes and dreams. And even that He has fulfilled His promises already through how He has sent His Son to die in your place. This is the hope of the Gospel. This is justification by faith. We believe and God saves. He justifies us through our faith. We acknowledge how trustworthy He is and through that expression of faith, He says, you are right in my sight. He considers us as righteous. He does not hold our sin and our weakness and our frailty against us. He welcomes us in and He holds us secure. And so church, no matter how much you are struggling with the delays of your hopes and dreams, Christian, cling to God's word by faith this morning. Cling to Jesus. Be reconciled to him through his work on the cross in your place. Believe in him. Rest in him. And now go and live for him. Our God is a covenant-making 
and covenant-keeping God, and so we can rest in Him when our hopes and dreams are delayed.